Hello folks, welcome back to episode 5 of Views from the 405. Uh, it's been a while. Long uh, over to you. Yeah, yeah, it's been, been about 4 or 5 weeks now, so it's been, a lot, lot has happened, a lot has happened. I mean a lot, as in a lot of great new albums, yeah. And and music developments and okay. in the world and the world, you know, we Trump's called the UN to destroy North Korea and also new albums. So it's been that's not what bit. people come to views from the four or five to hear about. They come to hear hot takes on hot new albums. We don't want to talk about Trump or hot new nuclear wastelands. Oh um, boy, they are hot right now. Yeah, aren't they? we don't get any press releases from them. <laughs> Um, that would be grim reading. Thankfully. Um, so yeah, I, we're going to deviate from the format a bit today, actually. We're going to do a shit ton of album re- reviews slash opinions rather than our retrospective at the end because we have a lot to get through. Yeah, indeed. And we have a lot more valid opinions about new albums than old albums that came out before we were born. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we will get back to that next time. We certainly will. Um, well, first of all, introductions. Uh, I, I'm Kieran. Uh well, no, 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 I can say I'm a features editor for the four or five. Had a nice little, uh, nice little new job title. Wow, how do you feel? I feel, I feel honoured. How's I feel the privileged. office? Big desk, big enough for you? It's, it's very leather, <laughs> Le- leather desk. Got a uh, like a, a three grand chair to sit on as well. Secretaries are quite, secretaries quite good, quite on it. Yeah, I mean they know how to use the intercom and all that stuff that us bosses just don't know. Yeah. And enjoyed they enjoyed like the um the fruit basket waiting on my desk when I stormed in as well. Yeah, yeah, we do show great hospitality <laughs> to ourselves at the four oh five. And I am Rob Hakimian, reviews editor, so I'm the one with the bigger office. <laughs> for now, for now. We'll give, give, give it a few more episodes. We'll see how it goes from there. So yeah, and as um before we dive into the news slash Queen Lord King Kenny section we um we thought it'd be quite good just to have a quick retrospective of our time at End of the Road, which we went together uh, to a few weeks ago. Yeah, even though it was half a month ago, we should talk Jesus, about it because yeah. there was so much to talk about. So many great acts. Your review just went up what, yesterday or today? Uh, today. Today went up today. And uh, yeah, I was reading it, being reminded of how many, just how many things we saw. It was yeah. a lot. We did see a lot of good so music. Instead of going through all of them, do you want to tell me your top three? Okay, top three. Okay, um, I'd go third with Kayla Leones. She was fantastic. She was she was brilliant. Uh, it's my favorite techno album of the year. It's it's growing on me more and more. It's in, I'd say it's probably in my top ten albums of the year. Her self titled, um, really really fun techno, but it's also very incredibly well produced and celestial and live. It was amazing. Yeah. Just seeing um, how like, it started, the crowd started quite placid. They didn't, I don't know how many people had like been with that into it or heard it that much before we go in, but, but yeah. towards the end, when she ended it with her Jenny Haval King Size remix, like everyone's going mental for it. It was class. Yeah. I'm going to do, I'm really, if there's still tickets left for her Oslo show, which I can't imagine there would be, I'm going to try and go. Well, you know, we have contacts. You might be able to get in another way. Which and is, she, yeah, she was the middle of the afternoon. On the big top stage by herself, which is probably not an easy way to to play the mm. kind of music she wants to play, but uh, she was antagonistic enough to get the crowd moving, hype hyped people up, and the, yeah, as you said in your review, the slow, the set was kind of like a gradual build mm. to that king size rework, and uh, yeah, I think by the end everyone was fully into it, and it was yeah. very impressive, and yeah. just seeing her rush around and do all the different synths at the same time. Like, it was an actual live show. It wasn't like she was just standing there doing nothing. 
So, yeah, very impressive. What else? Uh, number two, Slow Dive. Yeah, fantastic. The Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, I'd seen them before, and they were one of my favorite live bands, and they proved it yet again on that Thursday night slot. Just so... Just the music is live is just so engulfing. It's how yeah. you want a, a shoegaze act to pl- be live. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. What did you think of it? Yeah, yeah. Your first much. experience of them. Well, like um, in the review, I point out that it's something that, like, you feel rather than hear. I know that comes across as ludicrously pretentious, but uh, but it's something you'd probably understand if you've been to a, a slow dive live show or a corresponding live show where it's just it wash it genuinely washes over you and you just submit yourself to it it was stunning yeah. it was like, like the closest thing to a religious experience i yeah. can imagine having when um, uh, when they played catch the breeze early in yeah. the set it was just like i understand what the epitome of shoegaze <laughs> is now this i have lived and breathed shoegaze <laughs> as it's meant to be and yeah, it was fucking amazing. Yeah, and uh, number one, Blank Mass. Well, it's been number one for uh, three festivals I've been at this year because it's just the most pulverizing, feral experience. Like I feel like regressing back to my primal state as a as a, a caveman, just experiencing it is amazing. Yeah, um, and he also had the mid afternoon slot the same one as Kelly in the big top, but this was on the Sunday, which was some of the worst weather I've ever known. Yeah. Just being outside all day in endless rain and then to be able to escape into the big top and just be treated with this absolutely smashing set full of vicious beats and horrible imagery that really complemented it very well. Uh, was really transportative, took you out of the moment. Um, very impressive. And I bought the album on vinyl because it was so good yeah uh i want to mention as well as that bill callahan who made the sunday mm. totally worth it with his sunday night headline slot just playing him and his band are just pros you know they just sound so good his voice is perfect he dipped, dipped right back into some smog favorites like dress sexy at my funeral and he yeah, played, I enjoyed that. played all the best bill callahan songs like america and uh ride my arrow oh it was just so good and even for people who hadn't heard it before, like my friend Nick, who was there, he was just totally enraptured with it. Uh, other highlights I want to mention, Mac DeMarco's cover of Vanessa Carter's <laughs> A Thousand Miles. I think he's probably been doing that every night on this tour, so anyone who's seen it knows how great it is. Uh, just because he keeps saying, making my way downtown over and over again through the whole song, and then it just builds into something ridiculous, and then he pretends to be John Mayer. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, aside from that, he played a bunch of great songs. It was a great set overall. And uh, he got crowd surfed by the crowd all the way around the festival afterwards causing uh, minor riots I think on the way into the big top mm. which is pretty yeah. interesting um, other highlights Gold Panda was good yeah. Yeah, he was really uh, Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever I thought were great always were great I mean I could end up listing everyone so we'll just end there but End of the Road still the best festival in the UK arguably I'd, I'd say so yeah oh, just a quick one just Perfume Genius also really uh, yeah that was my third time seeing him so he didn't stand out as much but yeah he is always amazing always amazing and in fact that set was really good mm. uh, because he played some older stuff that he hadn't played at Puckle Pup he played like Hood and he played All Waters did he play All Waters or I can't remember he played something else from Put Your Back Into It which is possibly still my favourite album of his I don't know I do love No Shape a lot, though. Mm. A lot, a lot. I I really enjoy his first two albums, I think. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, as, as, like, sophisticated as his as his latter two are, there's something just so incisively 
cutting to his first two. Yeah. And their minimalism and everything. Yeah. It's, yeah, they're really, really, really bare and honest yeah. albums. And um, it's kind of weird to see them alongside the, the new album, the new album stuff like Slip Away and uh, Other Side, which is so loud and boisterous. And then to, for him to go into something so somber and, and skeletal like Hood. Mm. Anyway, yeah, he's he's amazing. And his stage presence, as you said in your review, is just ridiculous. So yeah, end of the road next year. We're going to be there. Bjork. Yeah. I'm guessing Bjork is going to headline, but is she too big? But who else did we say? We, we, you, you also predicted brand new, who I thought uh, would be a bit off-brand. I don't know. That's more of a dream. It's, yeah, it's not off-brand for them, but it would be cool. Uh, I, I could see Courtney Barnett and Kurt Vile, or just oh, Courtney. Oh, yeah. That, that would be class. I'd love that. Um, Torres, maybe? Would she's it, not she big enough. She's definitely not big enough to headline. Should be, but definitely isn't. Anyway, we'll wait and see. Whatever they pull out of the bag. Uh, but we highly recommend End of the Road. Yeah, and see, see you next year. Moving on to our regular segment now, and it, I'm quite imp- I'm quite uh, quite impressed by this Queen Lord and King Kenny again. We have something to talk about. Uh, wait, I thought you had a new name for this section. Isn't it our Lord and Savior? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, our Lord and Savior. Uh, <laughs> so who are we starting with, our Lord or not, or our Savior? Let's start with our Savior at first. Saint um, Kendrick. Yeah, damn in reverse. Yeah, have you listened to it in reverse yet? I actually haven't, but I can imagine it because. This is something that was... I might have listened to it because this was brought up... You know, we were talking off-air about how fan, fan theories about TV shows have kind of turned out to be more true more often than not. Someone, yeah. when Dan first dropped, someone uh, theorized that it was meant to be played in reverse. And there are, like, hints at it. Like, uh, in the last track, there's that... I don't know who the hype man on the album is, but he goes, we're going to do this in reverse or whatever. And oh. it kind of makes a lot more sense. Uh, I mean, it, it starts... It, it would then end with, you have lost your life. Mm. Bit, which is the end of the first track and if it's the end of the last track it works really well um and yeah he's well, kendrick actually came out and confirmed that it is supposed to be played in reverse which begs the question why didn't he just put it in that order <laughs> but um what do you think have you listened to it in reverse does it make a difference i did give it a cursory one someone had kindly uploaded it to soundcloud i think oh yeah um just like like um so that the fades are quite effective um, like I, I really like the initial run of Duckworth into God into Fear. Yeah, like it's really effective. Um, and it, the the fades. I don't know whether it was just the person who uploaded it had worked the fades accordingly, or if it was just natural. But it and it, it it sounded class. I would say I just don't think it is as as powerful a progression over the course of the album. I like the idea of having fear as one of the last songs because it, is, it feels in many ways not like the latter centrepiece of the record. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's, quite, it's quite cool to listen to it in reverse and I'll probably will do it again at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Duckworth is actually one of my least favourite on the album so to get that as the last track is always a bit of a 
ends with a whimper. I mean, it's a good song, and obviously mm. the story within it is amazing, but I think having it as first song is probably better. And then, But then songs like, you know, Element and Yah that are at the start, you want those at the start because they really get things yeah. moving. I don't know if they work as well towards the end. So No, it's. I, I feel like... It, it's a bit oxymoronic, but I feel like the middle plods in reverse, mm. which is a bit strange because obviously, if it's the middle, it should be yeah. the exact same thing in its original sequencing. But it's 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 odd. It's a very strange dynamic. Yeah. Well, you've got it on vinyl, so you'll be listening to it forwards most yeah. of the time. I will. I will. Um, shall we move on to our our, our, our lord? lord? Yeah. Um. So she was on. What the fuck with Mark Maron? She was. Uh, who I know grates a lot of people the wrong way sometimes and people can't get into him. But I think when he has someone on, particularly someone who has a deep appreciation for music and they just find a good vibe, they have a good connection as as he did with Lord, uh, it's just really fun to listen to. And she came across as like way more mature than her 20 years mm. or whatever. And she gave some insight into the writing and recording of Melodrama, which is interesting with Jack mm. Antonoff. Mm. And she talked about her um, synesthesia, which sounds pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, but also is quite inspiring and interesting. Uh, what else did she talk about? Well, I, I I really enjoyed how much of a music nerd she was. Yeah. Like she spent about half an hour just raving about Paul Simon and Genesis yeah. and everything, but and just like yeah, and just like how like how inspirational they were for for her as a pop and rock fan trying to blend the two. And it was quite like hearing how how indebted she was. I, like it wasn't the lyrics or the the like the sub like the subtext of the Paul Simon record of Graceland. It was the the production of it that which she obsesses over, and I'm 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 quite curious to know, especially now she's matured, um, from like uh, no heroin, like to to this. Obviously, you can you can really hear the jang the Antonov like flourishes and grace notes, but how much of like how much of melodrama was hers? Because like yeah. there's there's so much like actually now she mentioned it i can hear a lot of graceland in melodrama and like the 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 variation of the songwriting and the the melodies and everything like that mm, that's so, interesting so like i'm i'm like i i'm just really excited about where she goes from here like yeah. uh, she's obviously a massive she's like a a crate digger for yeah. like 80s pop great 80s pop music yeah. rather than like 90s house so i'm really i'm really curious to see how she develops from here yeah and the way she describes her partnership with antonoff is only encouraging it seems like they have yeah. a good like uh almost um sibling kind of relationship yeah. where they take the piss out of each other and obviously antonoff is a bit more um, uh, instrumental he's more savvy instrumentally because i think she said that she basically just plays a bit of piano right and makes the melodies and he kind of they kind of together they work it out which is really interesting i mean i'd love to be a fly on the wall in that studio yeah uh, oh, well more on antonoff later with one of our our news segments yeah um but anything anything more to add on uh our lord listen to that lord wtf it's a really good yeah. time yeah it's, it's it's really entertaining what is this tape this is my favorite tape yeah so i guess moving on to some general news now the sad the sad news about hoga shukai is that how you pronounce it that sounds pretty good. One of the me. the founder of Krautrock uh, band Can, yeah, a really seminal band. Um, 
I, I, when we were at the end of the road, actually, we discussed bands that we love but rarely listen to that much. And yeah. I can are definitely another one of those for me. Like, I absolutely love, like, uh, at least three of their albums. Uh, I only really know Tago Mago. Is it Tago Mago or Tago yeah. Mago? Um, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's one of those. Yes, and what other, which other albums? Oh, yeah. Eggie Bamiyasi is a really good one. Bamiyasi, yeah. Uh, that's good. Tago Mago. What else? There's two particularly great but it's not just his work in can i mean he did some work in other bands obviously all of the members of kraut rock bands did a lot of work with other people like brian eno and things like that and there's so much extraneous kind of albums to dig into from all those people that whole scene that's not necessarily released as can or or craft work or whatever there's uh, lots of other albums they did solo or under random names um yeah but so it was, it, it, I was I didn't I don't think I appreciated it. it's what in the classic case of this I don't think I appreciated him as much until I read up about him after he died and like he's been credited with the like the um, pioneering of ambient music with with the idea of world music entering pop music and also like sampling like he was one of the original samplers wow. within music like, he's like it was a genuinely seminal, seminal figure and you can't really say that enough about something as proliferated and saturated as pop music to say someone who is imperative that we couldn't think about pop music without and he's one of those few and then they've got so many and then you're like so many straightforward bangers when you've got yeah. like vitamin c obviously it's just a class and then oh yeah and then they sing swan song and everything these are all like like a star grade bangers that even if you can enjoy on a very like fundamental level without having to you know, deconstruct its uh, melody or anything. It's just really fun. Yeah. So listen to Can, especially after his passing. Do do, and they've got all the remasters on Spotify. So you know you can hear it in high fidelity, and uh, experience the brilliance that is Can. Next, we have a we have a special special report from our Taylor Swift correspondent. Oh yeah, uh, Caroline. Um, my my girlfriend. Do you want to set the scene with what Taylor's been up to first? Okay, so she dropped the worst album artwork. Well, one of the worst album artworks I've ever seen. What what is she thinking? Well, it's it seems like after her the whole like feud with Kanye, the whole VMAs thing, and then the lyric on famous, um, and like everyone thought like she'd be above it or something would happen about it. Yeah, and then. She is not over it, and in a, in, a, in a world where pop music is turning outwards and trying to confront the political and social realities and the dangers we're currently facing, she's turned inwards and it's got off the got off the, the wrong side of some people, especially when you consider Look What You Made You Do is, isn't a great song. It's, it's really not, not is it? It's not a great song. So, um... Our, our Taylor Swift correspondent had some choice words as the resident expert. Um, she she uh, has sent me a, 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 a very, very uh, comprehensive essay in which she said, The feuds with Kanye West and having been recorded saying she was okay with the lyric and famous and then, the public, and then publicly condemning it at the Grammys, plus the whole Tom Hiddleston thing, Taylor's reputation was mud. She couldn't do her normal thing of playing the victim, and she's already done an album of Rising Above It in, in 1989, and that, that single, Shake It Off. So how she got everyone back on the side with the album was going to be very interesting. And 
I like the way she's now trying to go down the yeah, I'm a bitch, fuck you route with look what you made me do. But she didn't really have many options left. It's just a shame that the song is awful. It gets much better upon watching the video as there's a self-awareness that doesn't come across in the music exclusively. Although, to be honest, we should have realised it was going to be a joke song as soon as she credited right said Fred. Which yeah, that's, that's a fair point. We did take that far too seriously. Yeah. However, given the political situation in the US at the moment and a high-profile and huge fan base, can we forgive her for not commenting on it and instead focusing on relatively petty celebrity feuds that, hap- that happened over a year ago? However, if you put this aside, it's funny, although it lacks the cleverness of Bank Space, which had the same idea, attacking the way she's presented in the media, which actually isn't horrific apart from the chorus, which is ridiculously cringe-inducing. But is it quite dull? This, it's nothing special. It's not. It's to make it no really at all. She's had to make it a crude puzzle for us to figure out who it's about. Otherwise, it would be easily forgotten. You can hear this in the way the exes and the like younger than my exes has a different effect on the voice, emphasising it. It's one of the most revealing lines in the song in terms of hinting who it'd be about making a puzzle. So they bring out to emphasise the drama rather than actually relying on the song itself to be noteworthy. So it's not a bad song. It's just irrelevant. I don't think that's an interesting point. Yeah, mm. summarily dismissed, I feel. Yeah. Or at least, well, she said it's not a bad song, so maybe she's dismissing. I think the overall message is we're still on the fence, jury's still out, let's wait for the album. Yeah. Which is I only, what, a month away now? Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I actually quite like 1989. I think there's some really good songs in there. And she's, like, the but as we're returning to Jack Antonoff, he had a massive hand of that. Yeah, like the bi- the biggest success of nineteen eighty nine was the production. Um, so I don't want to like casually dismiss her talent as a producer, but like I, I'm quite curious to see how much influence Antonov has over this new album. Do we know if he's worked on it? Um, I think he's. I don't know that whether it's confirmed actually. I I, I, I assume not sound Antonoffy no, at no, all, and he's just probably busy with Lord, yeah, like destroying the world with yeah. his great. And he's, with their he's, he was working with someone else. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, do you have any 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 comment on this? Or well, I guess well, I guess we'll return to it quite speciously um, when the the album actually comes out itself. Uh, Antonoff is crea- credited as a writer and producer okay. on like, "What You Made Me Do," so. but not ready for it. Okay, that's interesting. So there we go. Fair, fair, the Fairbrass Brothers were involved as well. Okay, that's a lot of writers on one yeah. song. it's never a good sign, really. No, but uh, well, as we said, let's the jury's still out until the album comes out. I mean, I don't really have much to say because I've not really delved into Taylor Swift. I feel like I'm too old for it. But <laughs> if we're going to talk about her on the pod, and I mean, we talk about Lord, and if I'm not too old for that, then surely I should enjoy Taylor. So this will be uh, interesting for me when we get around to the album to see yeah. how I feel about it. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, would it be unfair to hold up next to Lord? I don't think so. I think I think it's a fair. It's completely fair. Of course, yeah. it's fair. I mean, they're yeah. going for the same audiences. They're yeah. working with the same producer. They're at the yeah. probably the same. Maybe Taylor Swift is probably still higher higher up the food chain, bigger the bigger name. Um. So yeah, definitely have to hold her. She has. She's. She wants to be queen of the world. She has to be ready to be compared to everyone else who's vying for that throne. That's true. And speaking of one of the people vying for that throne, how about this for a segue? Saint Vincent. Saint Vincent. Do you reckon she's vying for that throne? Um. Maybe. Maybe if if the crown has thorns on it, maybe if she is if it's a bit barbed, a barbed throne. Maybe this is a bit ageist, but. 
she just seems too mature and older to be in that kind of pop star scrap. And because she's come through the way she's come up through labels like Beggars and 4AD and always been more associated with more indie bands, I've never seen her as a as someone who's going for that world pop superstardom. But now you say it, she is moving more towards that. She's got high mm. profile girlfriends kind of thing. I know that's not really anything to do with anything, but it does make her appear more in the media and stuff like that. She's more in public consciousness. Uh, and the new album, Mass Seduction, uh, which is coming out in a month, um, the two singles released so far, New York and Los Angeles, are very catchy, poppy uh, I think they're both excellent. What do you think of them? Huge fan. Like, I'm, I, I was fairly indifferent to was it Cruel Mercy was Strange Mercy, uh, Strange Mercy was a Cruel was a song on it. Well, a twelve eleven one, but like Heart St absolutely blew me away. It was incredible. One of the best albums of twenty fourteen. Yeah. And like, and the more like I've been revisiting, um, Strange Mercy and her earlier stuff is really grown on me over the past two or three years and I, I've got to the stage now I think she's well, I'm, I'm, she's like the she's the goat of art pop yeah and and up in the same way that Kendrick is with hip hop or in my in my mind Forte is with House they are like untouchable like, uh, like gods of of their various genres or various sounds um, like both, both songs are, are they're very different yeah, uh, one one's almost like a uh, New York's like a a ballad. Yeah, it's quite sad as well. It's yeah. poignant. She really gets to she. You get this really tangible feeling of her missing this person mm. who's been so important to her and her experience of New York. I mean, the the hook is New York is in New York without you, and you're the only motherfucker in the city who can control me. It's just really, really, really good. And then Los Angeles is obviously a bit. Um, vicious towards Los Angeles but yeah. it's also another one about losing someone mm. that's close to you the hook is how can anyone have you and lose you and not lose their minds too and it's super punchy and catchy and it's great um, and it's made me really really excited for the album Did, uh, are we going to discuss the the BuzzFeed feature now or later? I may as well do it now actually so yeah. Laura Snapes did a long long read with uh, St. Vincent on BuzzFeed, which I didn't realise did these kinds of articles about music, but apparently they do. I suppose that's, if you are going to be a mainstream pop star, you give your story to BuzzFeed. Is that the deal now? Yeah, I guess, I guess Forget so. Rolling Stone. Forget, I don't know, what else is there? MTV, NME. Billboard? Billboard. BuzzFeed is where it's at now. Yeah. Pitchfork, go away. BuzzFeed <laughs> is where it's at. But yeah, Laura Snape's uh, has heard the album and did a very uh, in-depth and uh, interview with um, St. Vincent, Annie Clark, and uh, got into the themes of the album. And uh, it's been a while since I read it, so I can't really remember. Yeah. But it just made me really excited for the album. I mean, obviously, the job of the article is not just to get to the bottom of St. Vincent. It's also to promote the album. So she's overwhelmingly positive about the album. But if the singles or anything to go by, it is going to be an absolutely smashing album. Yeah, mass seduction, yeah. and check out that BuzzFeed article. Yeah, really, really good profile, and like some of the quotes that come from it, like just like Annie Clark just seems like the coolest person. Yeah, she that. seems really hilarious. And did you watch the uh, announcement of her album, the press release? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't watch it. I just heard really like 
exciting thing. Yeah, she's got uh, she to announce mass seduction. She released a kind of fake press conference video. You can watch it on YouTube. It's got uh, with, um, Carrie Brownstein from Sleater Kinney and Portlandia in it, and it's. Uh, kind of a send-up of all the kind of journalists who ask her obvious questions like where does the name St. Vincent come from and things like that. Uh, and she has, it's, it's funny, you should just watch it. Uh, yeah, Google, go on YouTube, watch all of St. Vincent's recent videos, the album announcement, Los Angeles, New York, and get ex as hyped as we are for Mass Seduction, which is out, what, October 13th? It's October sometimes, it's not that far away. We're the only motherfucker in the city who can stand me. I have lost a hero, I have lost a friend, but for you, darling, I do it all again. I have lost a hero, I have lost a friend, but for you. Moving so a bit, very quickly, um, Mercury's any comment on Sampa's win? Just happy that he won. I think when we discussed it before, we said Sampa would be the ideal winner out of that mm. list, right? Yeah, the him or Loyal Carno would have been good. Or I like that, um, the Kate Tempest album too. But I'm yeah, glad Sampa won. I think that's a deserved win. Uh, his performance of No One Knows Me Like the Piano at the award was amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. And yeah, I think. If people hadn't heard of Sanford before, then he's someone who definitely deserves to have that new platform uh, and earn a lot of new artists. And uh, I think 2016 has kind of been his year. 2017 has been his year. He's been around for ages, featuring mm. on other people's stuff, always kind of on the background. But this year he's come to, into the spotlight and this is kind of like the cherry on top, I think. So I think it's deserved. And hopefully he just keeps going from strength to strength from here. Yeah, definitely. Completely on board with that. Um, just very quickly, uh, last last uh, last podcast, I predicted a Forte album announcement imminent, oh, yeah. and uh, I proved proved correct. Yeah, uh, very excited for that. It's coming out uh, next Friday, as of the time of recording. Yeah, new probably energy. this week uh, when when this comes out. Um, it's, it features three of the singles uh, dropped, yeah. uh, including this the superlative planet. Yeah. Um very hyped. As I said, literally five minutes ago, he's one of my favourite artists. So Yeah, and the way he announced the album was great with just sticking the track list on a piece of paper on the wall and just putting a photo. And also he's given the first thousand copies of the album to Oxfam. So pre order it from there like I have and you're doing a good deed. Not only are you getting good new music, you're giving money to a great charity. Exactly. And that's the kind of thing he's all about. Which is great, and but it also makes it annoying for us when we're trying to get an advanced copy of the album <laughs> to review, and there's just no one to contact about him. <laughs> he's just uh, doing his own st thing. He is he he's very autonomous in the way he he it brings his music out and things like that. So I mean, and it's coming out on text, his own label. I think mm. this might is this the first album he's put out of his own? Because I think even oh, actually, Morning Evening might have been on text as well. But before that, he was on Domino for a long time. Um. Anyway, looking forward to that. I'm sure yep. we'll talk about it much more on the next podcast. Yeah. And the la last one thing uh, before we move on to the albums. New burial track as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Fortet's erstwhile collaborator. Mm -hmm. uh, a schoolmate as well. Schoolmate, yeah. Uh, what's it called? Rodent. Rodent. Um, typical of burial. He released it without any prior warning. It's come as a single track kind of 12 inch release although it does come with an amazing code 9 
uh, re- rework on the other side, which is just as worthwhile listening to. Um, it's definitely more in line with what people enjoy from classic burial in terms of beats and almost like dance floor ready really especially mm. compared to beach fires and the other one that came out earlier this year which were pretty much ambient and entirely beatless which mm. was i wondered if he would follow down that route but it seems rodent has suggested that he's going to go back to more classic sounding house or deep techno or however you want to refer to it what do you think mm. Yeah, really big fan. Uh, we were just saying before the podcast that well, I think we're in agreement that it's his best, his best thing since uh, Rival right, Dealer. Dealer. Yeah. Uh, so in four years, and he, he is, he, he's not prolific, but he always drops like one twelve inch a year or something. Yeah. Although, yeah, since Rival Dealer, the quality has been kind of on the wane a little bit, and this this is good news that he can still produce a track like Rodent and it's an absolute smasher so yeah. i still hold out hope that one day he'll release something with more than two tracks on it again yeah. <laughs> but you know if i have to take it one or two tracks at a time i'd rather that than never having any more burial so it's always an event when he drops something it's always worth listening to yeah uh i mean he's still one of the most idiosyncratic and recognizable producers around even though many people have tried to ape his style he's you know it's kind of like a banksy it's like when you mm. see a banksy you know it's a banksy when you see hear a burial you know it's a burial despite lots of people trying to copy it yeah he's one he's one of the the few producers arguably m- maybe arguably he the the only one that could come close to apex for for that sort of like that sort of fandom yeah. who who just lap up everything that he produces the only thing is you can't it's harsh to compare him to Aphex because of how much Aphex Twin has put out. I know he went through mm. a long period of not putting out anything, but now he's back to putting stuff out again. He's kind of putting Burial to shame in that mm. department. Anyway, hopefully we'll get a new Aphex Twin album soon too. Oh boy! move on to some albums then yeah let's move away from things that hypothetically might come out to things that have come out that we've all listened to because these are big albums we're going to discuss and i'm sure lots of people were on them the day they came out so where should we begin let's let's begin with the american dream the american dream in music form brought to us by james murphy and co aka lcd lcd sound system now you reviewed this for us gave it a nine out of ten so let's hear let's hear your thoughts on it first Okay, so again, I had a very pretentious conception around the album, and that I understood it as a post greatest hits album because it doesn't say it's not another. It doesn't offer anything original or new, and um, but it encapsulates what's so compelling and quite invigorating about their music within an hour, and it is long. I think it's the longest album. Yeah. Um. So it's it's got well, it one track if, if you more. count their debut which isn't really an album it's more of a yeah. compilation yeah. and that's quite long but yeah, yeah it's their most their longest yeah. traditional album yeah I think it's because it's added one more track than Sound of Silver and this is happening I believe yeah and um, because Black Screen the final song is like 12 minutes long yeah. on its own it's a long song um, I just, it's it's really really good I think like every track is very consistent which I was quite impressed by um, 
uh, all the way through. Her, oh, baby is a, a really solid opener. So, so good. I mean, I think that's, in many ways, that's the most classic sounding LCD song. Mm. Uh, but then it has these kind of tropical synths in it, which is a new thing for LCD that comes in towards the end and just um, just brings a new element. But yeah, the, the forlorn kind of weary James Murphy style is there from the very beginning and stays throughout. And it's just, it's so comfortable to be back around and to be about around this guy who's like a, he sees the world for what it is. It seems he's not, mm. he's not sugarcoating anything. He's not afraid to point out, you know, to be a dick about society mm. and about himself. He's not afraid to, to crit- self crit- be self-critical and, and, uh, you know, it just makes a very interesting reading, even just the lyrically before we get to the music, which is just as interesting and exciting and invigorating as anything they've mm. ever done. Yeah. Uh, when I saw them play their comeback show at, at Coachella last year, uh, it was really impressed upon me how like talking heads they've kind of become. He's kind of like this David Byrne character, like this smart alecky leader of this troupe of great musicians um, and instead of a Tina Weymouth, they've got Nancy Wang. And uh, they just seem like a collective. And um, I'm actually surprised that there hasn't been a James Murphy, David Byrne collaboration yet. I feel like that might work, but maybe they're too similar that their egos would get in the way. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, there's quite, I mean, it's it's a very cohesive album, American Dream. But there's there are there is a variation between the tracks. There's some very mm. almost po- post-punk songs like emotional haircuts kind of mm. post-punky uh, i used to is very post-punk mm. uh that's one of my favorites yeah actually. change your mind is is very talking headsy to me at least um and then there are the more danceable tracks like tonight which is extremely danceable even though it's kind of making fun of of pop music and dance tracks uh that uh, that celebrate the, you know, he, he's making fun of tracks that are um so obsessed with having a good time tonight i think he has probably like uh things like black eyed peas in mind but maybe he's right it has become a bit of a trope to be like uh you know let's seize tonight let's let's do this this now or never kind of thing in in pop music so he's making fun of that on tonight uh how do you sleep is probably my favorite song Mm. which is apparently about his erstwhile dfa partner tim goldsworthy uh, and having read Lizzie Goodman's Meet Me in the Bathroom, where she speaks to both of them and they talk about the dissolution of that partnership, there aren't, there is no love lost between them. That's certainly true. And if How Do You Sleep is about Tim Goldsworthy, then, well, he needs to reply. It's like a diss track. No <laughs> but he's never put out any solo music. And they go into that in, in Meet Me in the Bathroom. And everyone's kind of confused about why he's never put anything out. But I guess he's just, I don't know if he's like a perfectionist or he's not bothered or... Anyway, let's talk about James Murphy. He's much more interesting. Um, what do you think about American Dream? Anything else to say? Yeah, like I, I am on, on board with How Do You Sleep. Um, I was initially... Uh, Tonight slash call the police, uh, f- fan like Stan for that for that for those two. But like, how do you sleep after I got it on vinyl, and like when the bass the bass drop on vinyl is one of the most satisfying things I've experienced this year. Yeah, and it's just I as I just keep going back to the consistency of it, but it's also the consistency of the message, and that yes, it's similar to what in in tone of voice and lyrically it's quite similar to what he's touched on before. But there's there's a lot of variation lyrically to what he's talking about. Like there's a lot of um sardonicism with on tonight. 
and um, but he's political and called the police. He's remorseful on um, black screen, uh, allegedly unconfirmed, but it's almost certainly about David Bowie. Uh, an emotional haircut is probably the best encapsulation encapsulation of what he's targeting here, and that it's it's so like wry and self aware, but it's very. It's quite scared in a lot of ways. Yeah. It, there's a lot of fragility here that I I don't think we've seen before. There's there's almost like there's a, there's a vulnerability that it's like the same guy who put out "Losing My Edge," but whereas "Losing My Edge" my edge was kind of like a battle cry, like I'm gonna take these guys on. It's kind of like now I am old. Um, has am I relevant anymore? What's going on in the world? Kind of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's still the same person who put out those songs like yeah. "Losing My Edge" and um, "North American Scum" and things like that. And uh, yeah, I love it. It's great. Yeah. Isn't it? I can't wait to see them on Friday. Yeah, I'm so happy. They better well. play "How Do You Sleep" because, as you said, that bass drop is insane, and I can't imagine how epic that would be like. Ah, oh, they've got that. They'll play it. Anything to say about the album cover and uh, title? Um. I I was very skeptical at first, but that I having listened to it, I'm kind of fine with it now. Because like, the, the entire thing is that it's like on the nose, yeah. But like it's it's quite elegant with what it's doing. Yeah. So I'm 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 fine with it now. I've I've seen a lot of people comparing him to um, David Foster Wallace, mm. James Murphy, interesting, uh, because he's that kind of egotistical guy. And some people made the point that. Uh, Infinite Jests was published with an album uh, with a book cover very similar to the American oh, Dream yeah, cover, yeah. which is kind of an interesting point. So just because of that, I have started to like the album cover, even though it's obviously terrible. But you know, it's a great album, and that's what really matters. You hate the idea that you're wasting on you, but you stood in the background. Oh, until you got older. Shall we move on to another sad white man album? Yeah. Uh, so this is the National Sleepwell Beast. Another one that which you reviewed and gave eight point five. I did. Uh, I really, really like this album. I think it's their best since Boxer. And um, the the litmus test I used for this rating was Brian Devendorf's drumming, which on songs like "Day I Die." Um, it's and it sounds at its most vital, um, it's most imperative, and lyrically, I also think it's the most interesting possibly ever that they've written in terms of the sophistication of the relationship that he's comparing with Karen, his wife, and Muse. She also did a wrote a lot of the melodies on it as well. Yeah. Um, and like I was, uh, I was initially a big fan of the first half, less of the second half, but like. A lot of the songs on the second half have actually really stuck with me, and I might even prefer it to the the first half now. It's it's a remarkably cohesive album that it, it tells a story across it. Um, yeah, I think the the compositions are great. I think his baritone has never been better. Um, it might not have as immediately um, earworm earwormy songs as Boxer or Alligator does. But I feel in in many ways it's a more complete album. 
uh, less singles based, more tightly wound, and it's it's growing on me with each passing listen. And it's it's definitely one of my favourites of the year. Yeah, I've listened to it quite a lot now because we originally got sent it early in the summer, and I've been listening to it fairly consistently since. And yeah, it's still growing on me every time. Um, I think as the days as we're moving out of summer it kind of suits these uh, more wintry days i love how from the beginning they've just set the tone with nobody else will be there when you think about um the piano chords that opened up boxer with fake empire and how bright they were and how energetic they were and how that kind of from there moving into mistaken for strangers kind of set the tone for boxer i think nobody else will be there does exactly the same for um sleep well beast so if you're not immediately enamored with that the the demure opening track because it is probably their most somber opening song they've ever had Mm. and and it really sets the tone for the album but it's perfect entry um i think by putting day i die second they've shot themselves in the foot of it because it is their most it is the most immediately rocky and anthemic and it probably people will will hear that and go yeah i want more of this and there Mm. isn't really anything else like day i die on the album uh, turtleneck. Yeah, turtleneck is shit. As uh, as sh- uh, sh- born to beg and turtleneck are both really bad, I think. And I, I, they're right in the middle of the album. And I, w- I think they could both be taken out, and th- this would be a brilliant ten-track album. I can't. Someone said born to beg was their favorite song on the album. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Sean Adams. I also saw that in their recent set list, they played born to beg as an encore song. And if I heard, saw them <laughs> play that in the encore, I'd be annoyed as hell considering yeah. all the other songs they've been playing. But they're playing most of this album live currently, which mm. shows how um, how proud they are of it. And I think it is a really, really good album. I mean, there's some sounds... It sounds like The National, but I think that's mostly because of Matt, because of how mm. recognisable his voice and style is and cadence and stuff. I think when you actually look at the, the music going on around it, it's, it, they are progressing a lot of their sound. Like things like um, Walk It Back is kind of almost music concrete in a way, mm. the way it's built. Um, the, a lot of kind of weird atmospheric sounds and Matt just kind of sing speaking. And the, the dichotomy in the lyrics throughout, which is obviously him and his wife and the struggles of, uh, you know, such a long-term relationship, really he's, he's wrung out a lot of great lyrics and emotions out of it throughout the album. I think a song like Empire Line is just stunning. I think that's one mm. of the best songs they've ever done. And it's one of those ones that first few times really passed me by. And then after a while, it, it's just the way that it, the piano kind of, or everything kind of drops out to just piano in the chorus. It just, it just works so well. And um, why do you think that they have a song called The Dark Side of the Gym? <laughs> it's such a funny title, but I don't really understand why they've called it that. I had a theory about this, but I can't remember what it was. Anyway, uh, the dark side of the gym is is a good song as well as being a funny name. A song like "Guilty Party" oh, that is absolute stunner. I and think, that's, I th- yeah, I think it's my favorite of the album. That's the m- best lyrically yeah. for sure. Like that is. Do you think that's about him and his wife? Yeah. Yeah, and I just think the way he crystallizes these uh, hard to explain kind of battles, these kind of wordless wordless tussles of a married couple it's just it's so potent the way they do it in that song but it's also like the, i i like go quite deep into it in my review about the orchestration of it because they, there's so much to it 
but like um, it's still so gorgeous. But you don't really associate maximalism with beauty, but it works so well. But it's like, and it's like each has various segments. Like it has about six or seven different um times where it changes. And the, my favorite part is when uh the the strings and the drums subside, and there's this like really smoky, foggy trumpet kicks in, and it's just stunning when it works with like perfectly with uh Berlinger's baritone. Well, I mean, I mean, his voice is just different level. I, I, I would happily marry his baritone if it was legally viable. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, really good album. Yeah, and uh, people kind of dismiss the National for being so consistent. It kind of works yeah. against them. Um, I don't know if you read. I think it was Jason Green did the Pitchfork review, and his final paragraph was talking about how consistency shouldn't be seen as a weakness mm. i mean it should be cherished because a lot of people get excited about a band when they have two bum albums and then they bring back come back with actually a decent one people get mm. excited about that but with the national of power five great like 8.5 plus albums in a row yeah i mean they shouldn't and just because they are so recognizable every time you hear them. They shouldn't be dismissed for that. They're still offering new dimensions and angles, even this far into their career, and uh, really a band to be cherished, I think. There's this weird reactionary response to them that I find very strange, where like people, because they are such a melancholic band, and because they be quite easily pigeonholed, they'll become like a joke in some quarters, which I don't really understand. When it's like, yeah, okay, they're they're like a sad band. I guess they're they're equivalent of what the radio of what radio head were at the turn of the century, in that they do have that identity which they've uh, cultivated quite effectively. But it's also you just listen to them. They're they're, they're so emotionally affecting, regardless of whether you're a middle class straight white man or or anything they taps into such latent human emotions that it's difficult not to empathize with them um I, yeah it's, it's, it really it really bugs me it really bugs me people just can't fucking enjoy and appreciate how impressive and emotively effective this uh Berenger is as a songwriter yeah i agree everyone listen to the national yes yes that is that is our command there's a Land that goes all the way from my childhood to you. Can't you find a way? Can't you find a way? All right, what's next? We have Zola Jesus with. Okovi. Okovi. Any idea what that means? Uh, no. Me neither. We should have uh, done some research. Probably, yeah. Um, but away from the album title, it's really good. Yeah, I mean, I've never... I've always appreciated Solar Jesus, but I've never... I don't think I've ever put one of her albums on a year-end list, and I'm pretty sure that this one will make mine for sure. Mm. This is definitely the for me the most consistent and re-listenable album she's ever put out and more than just being consistent and re-listenable it's really fucking good yeah <laughs> it fucking rules actually i mean it's just so punchy so muscular so fearless i mean she's the things she's singing about and the way she's singing about them are really really um i don't know what word to use but they they really leave an impact they're really um 
I don't know. It's the, it's the kind of album that leaves you thinking about it afterwards. Um, you've just told me you've been listening to it a lot. So what, what's yeah. what's attracting you to it? Well, as as you say, like the consistency of it, like stuff like uh, was it Stradlum Two and everything. Like it's it's there's a lot of like good cuts from that, but it's uh, it's a singles album. Whereas this one, I feel compelled to listen to it all the way through. Um, it's it's there's a direction and coherence to it that's not been there in another work, in my opinion. Um, and like what she sings about the idea of like fragility and um, vulnerability and everything, and so the 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 overbearance of death operating over everything, but like as you say, the, the muscularity of the synths and the, the the percussion as well is just absolutely yeah. And she's popular. always had this super powerful voice, and I feel like this is the first time where the production and the lyrics have really risen to mm. make yeah. the most of her powerful voice. I mean, she's got songs about uh, about choosing to kill yourself instead of being killed. She's got like really confrontational songs like Wise Blood, where she's just like, "Does it make you wiser? Does it make mm. you live a little more?" Um, and then and then a song like witness where she'll take away all the all the uh extraneous stuff and it's just strings in her voice and uh, it's kind of like a a kind of interlude almost but it's just still works just as well because of how starkly different it is to the rest of the album and a song like exhumed and let's not forget i mean it's it's very electronic and full of bass pulsing uh the, i mean the bass throughout it is so powerful and, and it is like earth shatteringly great um, but it rocks as well. Mm, I yeah. mean, it, it, I, I really want to see her perform these songs live. Yeah, that was that's what I was thinking as well. What else do you think about it? Um, yeah, just a, a quick thing. I think it was Jasper Williams of Drowned and Sound had a really good interview with her where they delve into the like the literary allusions around the album. The idea like Ophelia and everything. So much about like um, women driven to suicide by madness. And there's so much about like madness and mental health. Yeah in the album uh just like so not directly referenced but like alluded to in these very abstract of, ways of blood and bleeding yeah. out and yeah. things like that and very visceral uh uh organic mm. uh, messy images that she really starkly brings into focus with through both her singing and her production and the way it's put together yeah cracking album yeah kobe by zola jesus i mean if we haven't said enough just listen to it. Next up, 100 Waters, and you reviewed this This is one I reviewed, yeah. So I gave this an 8.5. Um, this is one I've been building up to all summer because I got to listen to it very early on. They were in London back in June. I think it was June, maybe July. So I got to hear it before that and interview them all about it. It's one of those albums where I wish I had more time to listen to it before I interviewed them because I only got two days to hear it before I interviewed them and then I've been listening to it pretty much consistently for two months since then I've realized so much more about it that I want to ask them about it now because it is on the surface it's like electronic it's very intelligent electronic pop music but there is a lot going on in it in terms of production so much layering so much weird idiosyncratic sounds and um, the way they build the songs around Nicole, Nicole Miglis 
kind of central um, vulnerabilities uh, and her piano and they, how they can go from just her on a piano into something grandiose and really uh, just um, engulfing and then right back down to her piano and her voice and it really rings the most out of the words that she's singing about which are all about insecurities and relationships and things that you've heard many songs about before but the way they've um, wrought them through their production and her vo vocals and I think her sense of melody and her use of metaphor is really good too and I just think it's really really potent I've used that word a lot and I use it in my review but I think it's the perfect word, especially for communicating by hundred waters. What do you think of it? Yeah, um I'm I'm fairly similar. Like I love the contrast between her very technically pristine vocals and the like pseudo house like piano and combustible production that's uh, beside her. Um what I will say is that I do really like it, but I feel the first half is conspicuously stronger than the second half. Yeah. Uh, I can take or leave what happens after firelight i think it's brilliant up until that point then i feel it dips uh yeah i can kind of see that but i think blanket me is amazing yeah i mean no, it's a very a simple good. song that basically just it has a few more lyrics than just the title but it, it, it um it is basically just that's that phrase repeated and the way it kind of builds from this something very personal and uh susceptible to pain and in need of this other person into something that's like really heroic and almost demanding and forceful i think it just the way that it transfer transforms through these few minutes of uh musical building is really magical and fingers is on the second half which is obviously it's not one of the most immediate songs but i think it's it's just really it cocoons you in the sound and it's a song about being too close to someone, being is so in love with someone that you're kind of scared to be touched by them. And I think that the way that they, they've built up these very wispy kind of electronics really, and maybe also the, the video for it was really good. It was like Nicole lying on the floor naked, being crawled all over by bugs. And I think that kind of um, really uh, ties into the music really well because the, the synths all around, the production are very, it's very inchoate and kind of, um, around this central figure it's kind of like how her emotions are like she can't hold on to them that one minute she she loves this person the next minute she doesn't want to see this person it's kind of it, it the the way the synthesizers kind of c come in and out really um embolden that i don't know in some way so yeah but yeah the first half i mean it has obvious hits like wave to anchor which is like a basically a house song really yeah and uh at home and in my head which is my favorite song the album is in the middle and uh, that's what i was talking about earlier when they go from something like really minimal with just nicole on piano into something burbling and manic and then back down into just the piano it's very impressive to me so yeah i think the whole album's worth listening to but you know listen to the first half anyway <laughs> that's what kira says <laughs> It's a, yeah, it's a it's a very good album. I just prefer like the the novelty and the unpredictability of Moon Run Like a Bell. Yeah. Like, that just blew me away when the first time I heard it because it was I felt like it, I hadn't heard anything like it in a long time. Um, but I will say like the it's it's more refined this time, and yeah. I do like that. Um, 
Uh, there's, it's almost like the theatricality and the bombast of the production. It reminds me of Call of M83. Yeah. Uh, a few, uh, quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good album. Um, uh, ch- check it out. Yeah, comparing to Moon Rang Like a Bell, which was one of my top 10 albums of 2014, I really, really loved that. And I feel like that was a more cohesive whole single album that flowed really well. You had to listen from beginning to end with that. Whereas communicating, I think every single track is amazing, but I think you can listen to it in any order. It's not quite as cohesive as mm. that one. But um, I still think they're one of the most creative and interesting bands out there. And I would recommend listening to that album a lot, communicating. Well, we'll move on to some other albums that have come out uh, away from our, our big uh, big section. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Ariel Pink. All right, we're ready to argue about this one because I know you're not a fan of Ariel Pink. So, no. all right, I'm not going to make too many excuses about him as a person because obviously for the defense. Obviously, he is heinous. He's very arrogant. He's made some very questionable comments, uh, things that could definitely be construed as misogynist. Um, but having said that, that also kind of fuels his greatness in a way. Um, it took me a long time to come around to Ariel Pink. Uh, we should mention the new album is called Dedicated to Bobby Jameson. And it's not as good as his last album, Pom Pom, which I thought was in my top 10 of that year as well. And I thought was absolutely sublime. Uh, I think Dedicated to Bobby Jameson, um, it starts off in not putting its best foot forwards, I think, with Time to Meet Your God, which is one of the most obnoxious introductions to an album ever. But it kind of works because you know he's such a douchebag. It makes me like it. It's like a song like Dream Date Narcissist also on this album. It's not that great of a song, but it's kind of amusing because he knows he knows how much of a dick he is. Um, but then I think the songs that really stand out are just the classic pop songs like the title track dedicated to Bobby Jameson, like Feels Like Heaven, um, Another Weekend. These kinds of songs are just archetypal pop songs, but he's put like weird production. He's put that aerial pink touch on it and he is recognizable. I mean, he came out of Freak Folk and now he's moved into... I don't know, he still kind of sat, stands on his own as a producer and as a pop writer. Um, have you ever been convinced by any of his music? Um, so, like, stuff like uh, his cover of Baby. Yeah. I, I like I like that. That's really good. What's a cover? Yeah. And then I remember when, was it? It wasn't on, it wasn't, it was Round Round, but Pitchfork came round was the best yeah. song of 2010, was it? 2010, yeah. Yeah. So, like, that was when I first heard him. As is, as is the want when you're... That's when I first oh, heard him as well. Yeah. And I loved that song and I wasn't convinced by the rest of um, Before Today, which no. is that Ariel Pink's Haunted Graffiti album. And then the next Ariel Pink's album, Mature Themes, came out. And it was a kind of a similar thing with Only In My Dreams and Baby. Yeah. I loved both of those, but I wasn't that convinced by the album as a whole. But I carried on listening to it. And weirdly, it's the song Schnitzel Boogie. Do you know that song? <laughs> I'm not... I, doesn't, I, I can't recall. It's on... It's on 
uh, mature themes, and it is ridiculous fuzz dirge all about eat, needing a schnitzel and eating a schnitzel. And it's one of those things where you listen to it and you're like, this is so stupid. And then you listen to it again and you're like, this is kind of cool. And then you listen to it again and you're like, this is fucking genius. And then from there, the whole of the rest of Ariel Ping's catalog kind of unlocks. It's like, oh, everything makes sense now. And then when he brought out Pom Pom, which had just some of the best songs I've heard in the last 10 years, I think things like uh, Put Your Number in My Fire and Black Ballerina, uh, Not Enough Violence, Dazed in Daydreams. I think those are, I mean, I think that album will be in my top 20 of the decade when it comes to that time. Dedicated to Bobby Jameson isn't as good as that, but it does have some real highlights on it. I think the ones I mentioned. So if you can stand to listen to like a, a misogynist egotistical guy who's also a genius pop writer and producer then listen to Ariel Pink shite shite that's all I gotta say about it well there you just go a- affected like uninspired shite as my as my take wow Plug me in out of my life I'm either too Let's move on to some stuff that we, uh, an album we both agree on as being good, Kedra Levansky's. Yeah, and I just wrote my review of this today to publish tomorrow. So Ariadna, um, her mini album January Sun came out last year and it was just like this thing that I saw got reviewed and it sounded really interesting, so I checked it out. And it is like this, she's this um, young producer from Moscow who makes like uh, techno house music, but she sings over it. So it's kind of, singer songwriter and electronic so ariadna comes out and it's her first full length uh the uh, the production values have gone up a bit which doesn't necessarily lose the charm of it because it's still in her voice and in the way she's kind of nodding to the forebears of the genre but putting this kind of faded spin on it makes it really interesting even though it might not on, on initial listen sound anything original i think that her own personal style she brings enough to it and her her russian vocals and um i don't know i'm i'm not that well versed in how electronic production is done but i think that whatever she's done is it does it's um, it is starkly different from a lot of other techno and house that you hear today like thinking about bicep album are we going to discuss that one yeah so that uh so i think let's compare keda levansky it's very it's i I know this is like a westernized view of things but it sounds russian it sounds like it Mm. comes from a soviet underground bunker or something and and that just i don't know it's very i find it very transportative it makes me it, it maybe it's just my own imagination projecting things but it takes me to like a cold moscow street or a saint petersburg or something like that um what do you think about it um yeah no i'm, I'm definitely on board with that it's very like celestial it's all like it's a very interesting fusion of like ambient fairy vocals against occasionally thudding techno very very cavernous drones that never like threatened to overrule the vo- like the, the pristineness of the vocals um it's v- covertly very affecting like the vocals i found myself getting sh- like inexplicably moved by words i 
no capacity to understand just from like the the airiness of it alongside the the sort of uneasy depths of the production beside it and the structures are really sound it's like it's got very like most spins on the idea of peaks and troughs which underpin dance music and techno and everything yeah um well it's i i really i really like it well I, what was quite interesting I, I first heard it when i was in the end of the road waiting for the shower queue so i just uh i just like put the entire album on because it was a long queue um and it was just it was a very like it was one of those moments where the music just fit the situation <laughs> and I've, i haven't been able to like escape escape that but i, I so every I time really you like listen it. to it you're taking back to the shower queue at the end of the yeah, road the shower, the shower queue where the, the couple in front of and the couple in front of me were like throwing up um oh, that was fun uh, yeah fun, i know what you mean about the vocals like that she sings in russian most of the time if not all the time i think she sang in english on january sun but on this i think there's only russian but despite not being able to understand the lyrics the emotiveness and the way they're produced really you get a sense of solitude and uh, from it that uh, really resounds through the electronics of it and it creates this kind of unique package that I really enjoy. So yeah. I love Keda Levansky and I want everyone to know her. Well, we uh, we alluded to it earlier, but we also have Biceps' debut, full debut album. This is another one you listened to in the queue for the, the road <laughs> showers, right? Keda, Keda was Saturday, Bicep was Sunday. Um, I'm a big fan of this album. I really like it. I thought our the official four or five review was slightly harsh, um, though I do see where they're coming from. I would go higher, but I do. Well, I would give it a seven. Seven, yeah, yeah. Um, I can see where the criticism lies in that it's not a particularly original. Yeah. Um, it's you can see it as a create as um, who is Jeremy it? Jeremy Munro. Yeah, yeah Jer- Jer- Jeremy made a, made a good point that is a create digger album, and that it's so obviously inspired by hundreds, if not thousands, of twelve inches. Yeah, that these these Irish lads have listened to for ages. Yeah, um, but it's a it's a really fun, yeah, well produced, clear album. Has a lot of songs that you were, if you heard them in a club if you're on a dance floor you'd be like yes this this works right now i want to yeah. i want to dance to this right now immediately you listen to it and you're like yes this this is what i want i'm on this level i'm on the level i'm, I'm vibing i'm in yeah like, like i've just got like glue aura rain is my favorite yeah, rain well. is amazing it's just the peaks are so good when it when it when it hits uh, I think it's a really solid de- de- debut. Yeah, and I mean they beat they're a, a, a duo that's been around for a long time, and this is their debut album. So you can tell that they've got the experience of DJing hundreds of times, at di- hundreds of different places, and they know how to make tracks that are going to work in that situation. And they've just brought out an album chock full of them. Although there are a couple of slower, more kind of interlude tracks as well, which kind of which. It's nice. It breaks up the flow of the album. I mean, I don't know if I've actually listened to this album in full front to back that many times, but I've dipped into certain songs a lot, and it works just as well either way. Yeah, I I, I feel like it, it's it's just so well produced, and I think it's gonna like it's gonna be an album that I return to quite a lot as well because it is just so well made. Like, there's a, as as we rated with consistency that it's. Just uh, making something like well done is like very unremarked upon and very unheralded. Um, yeah, I'm uh, quite, quite, quite into it.
moving on to an album we both agree has underwhelmed us quite yeah quite a bit. Mount Kimby's third album Love What Survives and I feel like you and I are one of the few dissenters yeah. I feel like in the minority about this one I, I don't think it's a bad album by any means I think the um, Blue Train Lions with King Cruel is one of the best songs of the year I think Marilyn with Mikachu is also one of the best songs of the year and then the rest of the album is fine but there's nothing that really grabs me in the same way I mean there's the, there's two James Blake features which I reviewed this for the 405 and I gave it 6.5 and I've said in my review that the, both of the James Blake features are good but they sound like James Blake songs if they'd been on a James Blake album you'd go yes those are highlights from a James Blake album but if you're on, they're on a Mount Kimby album they're like why are they here it doesn't sound like Mount Kimby no. um the other, my other favorite song on it is Tamed, T-A-M-E-D, Think About Me Every Day, mm. um, which is the only song on it where Kai Campos and uh, Don Maker actually sing, which is annoying to me because on I loved Cold Spring Faultless Youth, the second album uh, from 2012 or 13, 13, and they sang a lot on that. A lot of the highlights, Blood and Form, uh, Made to Stray, Home Recording, their, their vocals, maybe not the strongest, which is maybe why they've not done it so much this time, but they they worked. And there's a lot of instrumental tracks on the new album, Love's What Survived, which could have done with it uh, something to, some uh, some kind of vocal performance to, to latch onto. Like a song like Audition, which is an instrumental track, it just sounds like a, a straightforward instrumental rock song. It doesn't have enough going for it to be something that stands up on its own uh it needs a vocal take i think uh, and i'm really sad that they're missing more of those on this album i wonder if because they're now split up kai campos still lives in london but don maker moved to la i wonder if that has had an effect on their choice to sing or not but who knows what's disappointing about it for you i just think it's too content with itself yeah it's not it's not trying to push anything it's enjoyable, but the kick that is uninspired as well. Yeah, like it's, it's, it just sounds like an electronic album that you get sent in your inbox like five times a day. Yeah, like there's the they they're capable of so much better. Um, as you say, like Blue Train Lines, there are, there are like some really good cuts from it. Yeah, but two thirds of it at least just pass you by. Yeah, I mean, and seeing them at Puckle Pot, it was interesting because I'd never seen them before, and it made me realize how much of a band they are. They're not really producers they are a band and a band unless you're doing like a do make say think kind of pro uh post rock thing you need singers you need a singer yeah. and uh it was obvious the crowd popped on certain tracks like blue train lines and made to stray and then when they played things like audition they lost the attention people just started chatting so i think that's what happens with the album as well yeah be interesting to see where they go from here. Well, I mean, they're gonna. I, I don't know. Everyone else seems to love it. So yeah, true. Uh, next up, Lamelda with THX. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, 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 I like. Um, so I, um, so I, I'm still waiting my the answers to my questions. So I've got like a, an email interview with her. Um, I really like this album. Um, I wanted to write a review for it, but I didn't have time. Um, part of me feels it belongs to the great sort of scrap indie rock sound that's distinguished this year with, you know, like JSOM and Jap Japanese Breakfast and Vagabond, etc. But it's always, there's a lot more 
it's it's very different in its own way. That it's a lot more intimate than those yeah, ones. Intimate it's, is the word I would use. Yeah, and it's um lyrically it's very interesting and in how it um, it's very quite existential and t- tackles big topics from strange from a very idiosyncratic perspective. Um, I really like it. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a very gold flake paint album for yeah. for the, the, the uh, they love that so. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I I would say it is a very winsome album, despite its kind of obvious frailty and this emotional core. But it kind of it has a nice flow to the album as well. It comes around in a way and it ends on a really nice crescendo. Um, and it, it's a short little album. It's, it's like a, a sliver of a thing, but it's yeah. very. There's a lot of hacked in there. And it's a debut as well. Yeah, it's exciting to see what Hannah Reed will do next as Lamelda, and she's playing at Mirrors Festival. Hopefully, we'll get to see her there. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and Phoebe, Phoebe Bridges. Phoebe well. Bridges. Good, yeah. good festival. Good festival, man. Yes, indeed. Sorry, you missed it. The day moon was out again. I thought it knew me. Move on to always, always, always. always. Stop saying always. I still such a habit now. We saw them at end of the road and confirmed that it is always. My my ego got damaged. <laughs> um, yeah. What what do you think of the the this always album then? Um, I really like it. It's actually growing on me more than I thought it would. It is just a straightforward pop rock record, and yeah, there's no Archie marry me on it, but it has some other really strong singles. In seeing them live at End of the Road and then again at Coco, they just strike me as the picture of of perfection, like Canadian youth. They look seem so clean, so nice, so so you know ready for the mainstream. And I think they are headed that way. I think they are picking up the fans that is going to push them into maybe the peripheries of the mainstream. But they are going to be the kind of band that is beloved by a certain uh, section of uh, fans and. It's deserved. I mean, they don't do anything particularly original or there's no songs on anti-socialites that... There's no Archie Marry Me, as I said, but it's consistently good. I really like every single song on it and seeing them live made you realize how kind of guitar-focused they are because on the record, Mm -hmm. you've latch on to the vocals and the vocal melodies and the hooks that way, but they are a rock band. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good album. What do you think of it? Um, yeah, I'm feeling bored. I think it's like slightly similar to Mount Kimby, and I was underwhelmed when I first listened to it. But I'd say it's a better album than the Mount Kimby one. It's it's solid. Yeah. Um, I mean, like they've got some. They do have some good highlights, like in Undertow and Undertow, and Forget About Life is a really good yeah, closer. Yeah, Forget About Life. It's a really good closer. Um, and it's yeah. I'm 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 enjoy I'm enjoying it like revisiting it though I just I just hoped for something better yeah um, but what, when I you think know. about what they do yeah how simplistic their sound is they just make pop songs with guitars like it's not yeah. pop punk but I mean some songs on this like Plim- Plimsoll punks 
and um, your type kind of hew more towards pop punk, but they are just pop songs. And yeah. I just don't really see how they could, without completely reinventing themselves, what yeah. more could they do? I feel like they've made a consistently good album where every song is a seven or eight out of ten. Yeah. I just can't really see them doing anything more than this. I don't know, but so I'd, what, I'd, I'd, I'd do just love it if they made like a 9.5, just out of the How, way. though? I, 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 I with, with, with what they've got going for them, I just don't see how they could do that. That's true. I wonder, is there not, what other bands do you think that sort of limit, limit themselves just by their medium, by their template? Do you think that just pr- like inhibits them from making a classic, like an album that you're contender? It's a good question. It's one I need to think about more. Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe that could be a question for next time. Yeah, there definitely are some. Yeah. Um, and last, lastly in the albums, we have Open Mike Eagle. Brick Body Kids Still Daydream. Uh, have you listened to this? I have. I have. I, I listened to it on Sunday. Yeah, it's a really fun album. I mean, uh, Open Mike Eagle is like one of the figureheads of, what would you call it, backpacker rap, mumble rap. Yeah. Kind of not the mainstream, beats heavy, braggadocio filled rap that you mostly associate with that scene it's it's kind of more indie oriented and open mike eagle um is kind of the epitome of that sound he's very self-effacing uh he doesn't go for he doesn't talk about rap money and those kinds of things that people generally associate with stereotypical uh rap albums and this album is it's kind of a concept album about um the projects where he grew up brick body kids still what is it i don't know uh and he i feel like on this album he's focused more on hooks i can sing along to every single song on this album every single one has a hook um he gets goofy he he also gets angry on a couple of songs which is really good and really um effective when you've heard like this kind of placid rapper for a lot of it and then when he does get a bit more agitated and outraged the clarity of his kind of words really resonates and he's got only a couple of features but they're both really good particularly the one by samus i think is amazing uh what do you think of it yeah um i like he's been one of the most quietly uh, proficient and Return to the word consistent. Yeah. Um, rappers over, over this decade, actually, like all his albums have been at least good, if not very good. Um, and this one continues the vein. It's a concert album about like a like a basically a building estate. Um, and that that limit is it, but that sort of concept renders it quite slight in a way. It's quite a blinkered album and it's and its approach but that's deliberate so i can't you can't really criticize it as a misstep or anything yeah. um the production is very good lyrically and in flow it's as stellar as ever yeah and it's always very intelligent like he's a very like his wordplay and the way he he sort of fuses polit- politics into imagery and everything is very very vivid and very colorful um hopefully this may be his breakout record i've seen it being publicized a bit more on yeah. Sites I don't normally, rather than just like rap sites, I've seen it, you know, seen it around like Pitchfork and 
even at really like Rolling Stone and stuff, I've been chatting about it. So hopefully this may be something that finally garners him a bit more attention. Yeah. Because he's been subtly smashing his way through for a while now. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a good album. Um, I'm, I need to I need to listen to it for more than once. Yeah. Um, he the album he did a couple of years ago with Paul White had a personal film festival. I think that was a bit of a breakthrough for him because obviously mm. Paul White has gone on to be behind the boards for albums like. Um, the trusty exhibition and things like that and that album was really funny hello personal film festival and i think that garnered him a lot of new fans i think also it the slightness of brick body kids still daydream shouldn't be held against it because he brings out an album every year or two and it seems to me this is a trend i've been discussing with someone with chase another writer on the site seems like uh, rap albums are getting shorter and rock albums are getting longer. <laughs> it's weird how it's kind of switching around. I, I find shorter rap albums refreshing because that's one thing that really kind of puts me off getting involved in a lot of the 90s uh, like things that are held up as classics of the genre. Like I have to invest 75 minutes of my time and listen to a bunch of stupid sketches, whereas I can listen to 12 open mic eagle tracks that last 35 minutes and they're all extremely charming and have a an easily sing-alongable hook and yeah as you said hopefully this will be his breakout we'll see i don't know what would a breakout throw from mike eagle be anyway starting to play a thousand person venues yeah probably. <laughs> yeah um i mean he's shown he started showing off on more and more podcasts he did one he did a wtf a couple of years ago he was on harmontown earlier this year yeah yeah, yeah i listened to that one yeah, um, so yeah he's a he's a funny character he's around and about the logic has also been on Harmon. Uh, yeah. He's a bit shit. So. And he was on Rick and Morty as well, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. They should have yeah. got open mic for that. Yeah, for that, 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 would, that would have been really cool. Stone tablet, don't stone tablet. I'm old, granted, I'm not a tomb. Y'all can move this whole planet. I'll hold fast and I'll follow through. I promise you. The shelters, basement, hallways, early morning, Sunday, midnight, all day. Do what they get, don't say. Don't engage in horseplay. People speak in tongues. Call me naked, a rapper My motherfucking name is Michael Eagle I'm sovereign, I'm from a line of ghetto superheroes Oh boy, what a rundown of all the new albums I'm exhausted Yeah But we're not done yet No, we are, we, we have well, we, we have quite a few articles And quite a variety of articles as well A mixture of uh, comment and profiles Yeah um, There was one on hip-hop therapy the, uh, Well, the therapy is gangster Gangster this was um, so interesting. Yeah, by um, Pitchfork's Sheldon Pierce. This is on the pitch. He's basically talking about how in the past, rap rappers or it's been kind of seen as a, a stigma in the rap scene to admit that you have mental health issues, to say that you've gone to therapy. I mean, lots of rappers in the past have said rapping is my therapy and things like that. Whereas now it's becoming more and more common to hear rappers opening up about their mental health. Jay-Z did it on 444. Obviously, uh, Kanye West being hospitalized very publicly mm. and his struggles with depression. Uh, it's becoming less of a taboo thing and it's quite interesting that Sheldon has gone into, he's kind of done a little mini history of how this has progressed and how hopefully it will continue to progress in the future. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, um, because obviously, like, um, uh, mental health versus traditional ideas of masculinity is a fight getting more attention now, but it's especially sp- salient, the piece argues, for black men, and especially in the hip-hop space. 
another one to add like Kid Cudi as well, the whole thing with oh, yeah. Kid Cudi added into it. Um, so it's a really affirming piece that people. So we we've obviously chatted quite a bit about like how emo music uh, has discussed mental health and everything. So that that it's also uh, coming through and like um finding finding space and room to talk within other genres of music and just in other cultures and society in general is quite is quite moving. Um, next up we had the Bjork interview at Dazed with a uh, Cillian Bullet yeah. uh, uh, who written this up. Um, Bjork is on the verge of releasing another album, which is massively exciting to me because Volnikura was my second favorite album, twenty fifteen. Um, and yeah, uh, for the Dazed cover story this month, they've got an in depth interview with her, all about um, the writing of it and how the process has changed. And it, it's basically, it, I mean, Bjork is one of the most interesting people to listen to talk about anything. I don't know if you've seen that video about her, of her talking about her TV. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> That's a classic YouTube clip. And just, I could listen to her talk for anything forever. Um, so yeah, she talks a lot about the new album, which is as yet untitled. Um, and saying how it's her Tinder album, how it's about... Because the last album was about the dissolution of her 13-year marriage and this one's about refinding love, reconnecting, re becoming whole again. And it sounds really encouraging. Um, it's also interesting. She talks about her collaboration with Arca, who obviously worked on Volnacura, but apparently for Volnacura, he came in halfway and kind of helped her finish it off. Whereas for this one, they were working together together with it on it from the very beginning. And uh, have you heard the Gate yet? The new single. I've not actually. So Bjork, heard Bjork's just put out the gate, which is the first single from this album, and it's very arcade. So it makes it makes me even more excited for the new album. And yeah, the piece is just great, um, and it, it also features uh, really interesting pictures by um, Jesse Kander, who uh, does a lot of Arca's artwork, and is a, a really in- interesting. Um, visual artist and I think Bjork is just having a hell of a time working with these really creative young people like Arca and Jesse Kander and it's nice to hear her being so happy again because I remember around the time of Volnikura she seemed so broken and she was like I don't know how I'm going to perform these songs and I, I they're just so personal and now she's making jokes like this is my Tinder album as I said uh, it's just great to see her bubbly again and i'm really excited for the album and that article is great have you read it yeah, yeah i've read it i really like it i learned how in depth they got with like our dj sets and everything oh, yeah, as well yeah yeah because obviously and it just makes you realize how interesting and cool of a person bjork is as well because she just shows up to random basements in stoke newington and does dj sets and <laughs> just just appreciates doesn't even have to be behind the decks just kind of sees these underground artists and yeah. will talk to anyone and got herself in with the likes of triangle records and things like that she just like she seems a very genuine person as well yeah like, she just uh, like comes across as so because like so much mystique has been perpetuated around her but like it's just striking just how at ease about with everything that she is she she genuinely doesn't give a fuck about the image that's supplanted upon her um yeah that, that anything anything else to say in there i think selling bullet is that how you say the name I don't know. Anyway, you can read it online, daysdigital.com, or you can pick up the physical copy. Yeah, if you yeah. Can find I, one around. I, I saw N.W. Smith. It looks very nice. Yeah, and it, as I said, it comes with those amazing Jesse Kander photos, so it's, it's almost does. worth buying the physical just to have those. Yeah, 
next up was is uh J J Paul J Paul's uh like the article another article from Dazed good 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 content um about it was a profile about how he changed the sound of pop music with two songs which is B T S T U yeah and Jasmine yeah two brilliant songs yeah. um. And it's a really interesting how it delves into it because only he, um, Jay Paul, I can't remember who he gave the interview for, but it was the only public interview he ever gave. Um, and it's just so much like both the songs. It's a very the the piece is really really good. It's it's a long read, but it's definitely worth it because it, it he speaks um, Grant Rinder, who we've discussed bef- before, a uh, really good writer who yeah, wrote he did the MIA, MIA piece we discussed last time. Um, and he's he's does like an old expose into the n- weird nitty gritty of online culture and work about how like these these tracks that have come to define this decade to some extent just emerged out of absolutely nowhere there was like the sound like sound soundcloud before soundcloud became prominent it's a, it's a, a fascinating incredible piece yeah and now he's kind of disappeared into the ether again whether we'll ever see him again i don't know I mean, do, do you? We don't even know about that album he put out on Bandcamp that wasn't an album and then swiftly disappeared. Yeah. Was that a real album? What was that? Was that fake? Was that leaks? We don't even know. Well, he 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 says it's leaks quite predictably. Like he didn't intend to do that, but like part of the mystery of him, he's quite similar to you know like Brand New or Apex Apex Twin that they enjoy like fucking over our conventions of releases and the industry and stuff like that but he seems to enjoy fucking over his label as well because i know xl who we signed to are desperate to put something out for him they put out those two tracks you mentioned btstu and jasmine and i know i remember when that album surfaced online i remember seeing was a richard russell tweeting like what the fuck (laughs) why why didn't we know about this uh so i mean xl would love to put out more j paul music and that's such a fucking good album as well yeah I mean, I mean it, it, he is so talented, but no, what four years now, and we've not heard a thing. I, I just think I don't know what he's up to. He's yeah. a mystery. Well, who knows? Who next time we're speaking, we might have another J. Paul song. I, I doubt that. So. No, but it won't happen. Um, lastly, we have Pitchfork's profile of King Cruel. Yeah, Jazz Monroe went to the pub with King Cruel, aka Archie Marshall, who's the South West London lad, and. Um, it's just a really fun article getting to explore King Cruel. He's very honest about his ambitions, about how he um, wants to be as good as the jazz greats and how he sees a lot of jazz in his music and uh, um, how he feels like he he's he wants to be the best and how he has dreams about um, slipping behind his contemporaries. And it just made me really excited to hear the new album, The Ooze, which I have now heard and it, I really like. And uh, I don't know if I would have liked it as much if I hadn't read this profile before because he just seems like a down-to-earth good laugh. I don't know if it's because he's such a Londoner. It just comes across really well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would just I think it's just a really nice piece on, on Pitchfork profile about King Cruel and his new album that oozes out in a few weeks. So read the article and get excited for it because you can hear now Dumb Surfer and Check One which have both been released for it and are both amazing. So I would, I would, and oh yeah, the other thing the article goes into is his school days. He, um, Jasmine Rose uh, talked to his dad and one of his former, his former music teacher uh, and talked about uh, what he was like as a school, school boy 
uh, predictably not very well behaved, uh, had to be excluded, um, but always showed interest in music and always, um, people always kind of knew that he would probably head in this direction and it's nice to see him you know, making that a reality. I mean, when he brought out the first King Cruel album, well, before he was even King Cruel, when he was just Zoo Kid, he was only like 18, 19, maybe even younger. Um, he's only 23 now and he's bringing out his what, third or fourth album or something. So um, it's interesting. It's an interesting snapshot of where he is at this point in his life and it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. Yeah, definitely. Well, wow. I've not read it, but um, he is a very interesting character, and he's worked with so many different people as well, yeah. like, from across a whole plethora of genres. Yeah, and uh, we mentioned his his appearance on Blue Train Lines. Yeah, the, yeah. he he's what makes that that no, can be sung so good, and uh, he did two on Cold Spring Potless Youth. I think those are probably the three best. Man Kimby songs, the ones he's done. I said in my review of uh, Love What Survives that they should just make a whole album together because it would be amazing. That that'd be class. That'd be a proper London album as yeah. well. That would be that would be great. To any other business now? Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll link to those articles in the and when we put the the post up, and that will be your your reading for the next week. Yeah. Um, the one I want to chat about is that we have another website pivoting to video. Oh no, another and nail in nylon. The coffin. Nylon. Um, what I find quite interesting about this is um there was a segment on Slate's Political Gabfest podcast, um where they had a section on this about why like not just like our hypothetical, like, like our ideological uh, opposition to it, but it was actually delving into the econ the economy of it. Um, apparently, the revenue generated from Facebook videos is substantially more than article hits. It's it, the entire dynamic is shifted towards like Twitter, t- Twitter clicks, and but which we already knew. But what I didn't realize was the impact of things like Facebook and video and everything like that. It's not through video on the website, it is video content through other websites like Twitter, like Facebook. Uh, Facebook. Yeah. And that is the fundamental it's Facebook which is di- like directing this because it's so easy to embed it yeah. and still get the revenue from everything and because the advertising are more interested if you're going to be posting yeah. videos on Facebook. And also on Facebook, you don't even have to press play. The videos just start playing. Yeah. I wish that we could embed our reviews on Facebook so people would scroll down their newsfeed and suddenly our review would just pop up on the <laughs> screen and they're like, you cannot keep scrolling through Facebook until you've read this. That would be great. It's, it's 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 terrifying that that's like they have that authority over it online online journal, journalism now. Yeah. Where people people always talk about how Facebook's changed everything for their lives and everything, and then just the idea that journalism itself is in many ways mediated by Facebook now, and to a lesser extent things like LinkedIn and Twitter, is terrifying. Like and and it's just another and obviously it's just one small jigsaw piece into this vast maze of uh, how they're operating but 
for us as you know music writers, it's pretty, pretty terrifying. Who um, who would it take? Which website would it take for you to see them pivot to video before you give up hope completely? I mean, the obvious answer would be Pitchfork. Yeah, if they did, if because. Even now, when you go on Pitchfork, the top things are all videos before you have to scroll down. To which get... is which is obscene. Yeah, and when like like considering the the quality of content and stuff like that, and oh, the 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 really standard of the 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 pitches and the features articles they do are always so good, like proper investigative journalism. Yeah. Their access is unparalleled. Yeah, uh, but it's going to get lost. I mean, I love Over Under, but I mean, <laughs> how how. Uh, how many of those do I have to watch? And how much am I going to learn about uh, like a new St. Vincent album by her rating fedoras or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Those, those, are, those have a scary amount of views. Um, another point was um, and we, we occasionally have like a film yeah. tangent here. We have about Harry Dean Stanton's sad demise. Um the only thing, like obviously, he's been in a lot of really good films, uh, including Alien and Cool Hand Luke and films like that, and a really and a really really cool uh, uh, cameo in the Avengers actually. But there's Watch Paris Texas. Texas. It's one of my favorite films by one of my favorite directors, film vendors, the the, the uh, cloistered German. Um, but it's it's one of the most quietly heartbreaking films you ever watched in your life, and he is outstanding in it. I'll put that on my to watch list. Yeah, do. All right, um, R.I.P. Harry D. Harry Dean Stanton. Ha- Hazard as a Staza. That was one of what someone on Twitter said, which I thought was. Hazard as a Um, one la- one last thing, if you'll permit me, a two minute rant. Yeah. Uh, to today, uh, Michael Hatton published a piece about how the snobby London contingent weren't paying attention to northern rock bands um four things in this these uh these indomitably shitty bands get attention from broadsheets like the independent and which, the which I, bands in particular he's, he's talking uh, about blo- the, the ones they mentioned are blossoms and uh sheriffs sheriffs was it Sher- sherlock's sherlock's, I think maybe sherlock's. I'm, a, I'm uh, one yeah. of the the london elite i don't know <laughs> any of the bands that he's talking about yeah, so because uh, I think the Sherlock's got to number six in the album charts um, last week, and Blossoms were nominated for Mercury's. These guys get loads of uh, plenty of press in the broadsheets. We don't normally read because the broadsheet music world is different from the the reg- like the regular site or blog music world, and they get attention from Northern blogs. There's quite a few Northern blogs who discuss like lad rock because that's the thing, and fair enough. Two, the idea that they are real bands like Michael Han consistently refer to them as real bands and real music from a real part of the country, which is just a very strange phrasing. But it's it's ludicrous that they are real because they're lads from a Sheffield suburb with leather jackets, guitars and chlamydia. They're, they're just as manufactured as the pop stars Han constis, like constantly reveals and they often portray a form of toxic masculinity with parochial views that is anathema to the sites and blogs to what we are trying to represent to the cosmopolitanism that we try and celebrate thirdly they are dregs from one of the worst movements in uk music history lad rock and are rightfully consigned to the dust ahead of one that's most vital at the moment crime do you, do you think lad rock was a movement i think it was yeah like when when you consider that as it was like 
it was like the bastard son of Britpop and uh, is this it, the Strokes album. Indie. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, and, and it's 20 years, Ladrock has never been anything other than objectively shit. Would you consider Arctic Monkeys Ladrock? Uh, um, yes. And even Lost Campesino is kind of strange. No, into that. no. That's too self-aware. I see. That's, that's like, it's too nerdy to be Ladrock. Okay. Um, and it's the same with Block Party as well. Block Party is too nerdy to be Ladrock. Um, but look at Grime. That is where original, interesting, powerful music is being made. And like the UK sites and music is rightly and justifiably turning our attention to that instead. And lastly, and this revisits what we discussed last time about the um, about the Luke Turner piece on what where's all the damning criticism. Most of us are doing music writing either pro bono or very poorly played. We write about things we're passionate about and want to celebrate, not some tossers too corridor about getting sucked off in a high street. They are rel- they, they are relevant to us. We want to write about good music and unheralded music. And that's my that's my two cents on that Michael Han piece. Alright, Michael Han, you've been told. Before we say goodbye, uh I have a correction to make. Uh from not from last episode, from a couple of episodes ago when we did the retrospective on the Violet Hour by the clientele, not the clientele. The whole way through, I said the clientele, and then I got to interview um, Alistair McLean this week, and he said the clientele, and I felt like a fucking idiot because it was the clientele, not the clientele. I think originally when I first started listening to them, I thought it was the clientele, but I thought no, that's how Americans say it. English people say the clientele. But I think I had that the wrong way around. Evidently, well, so we're all we're all fools. The clientele. Uh, anyway, this was just a backdoor way to say that I've interviewed Alistair McLean, <laughs> <laughs> and you should read that on the four or five. It should be up by the time this podcast comes out, and my review of their sublime new album, which I sh- hopefully we'll discuss next podcast. Sweet, looking forward to music that. for the age of miracles. That's called. Uh, it's it's streaming now, uh, so listen to it. Well, uh, thanks for listening. It's been a long one. I thought it'd be a shorter one. I know, time, so did I. No retrospective, but a hell of a lot of new music to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it's not too much waffle. Yeah, it sh- shows what happens in the space of a month. Yeah, a lot of stuff we chatted about. And I mean, the next two weeks aren't letting up either. Three no. weeks. There's no. so much more coming out. Shit. Yeah. Well, hopefully, it won't be as long next time we record. Yeah. But um, yeah. In the meantime, uh, we're all, we're on Twitter. I'm on no, not that Devlin, and I'm at temporaryism and uh, we're now on iTunes as well with our own separate uh, yeah our own feed so you don't have to subscribe to the 405 podcast you can search specifically for views from the 405 and just get our podcasts (laughs) we'll link to that in the posts as well pure and uncut thanks for listening thank you see you